Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute. Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. I'm Stephen Roberts, Vice Chair of the Compliance Institute's Data Protection Information Security Working Group, and it's a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. Since its introduction on 25th May 2018, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, has had a profound impact on data privacy. This has been felt both within Ireland and the EU, but also globally as many countries internationally have sought to introduce their own data protection legislation. Ireland's Data Protection Commission and its Commissioner Helen Dixon have played a leading role in the implementation and enforcement of the GDPR. In 2022, the DPC issued more than 1 billion euro in fines, accounting for two-thirds of penalties issued by EU supervisory authorities last year. As we approach the fifth anniversary of the regulation this May, it's timely to reflect on the impact of the GDPR, to consider the data protection issues facing Irish organizations in ensuring compliance, and to assess what challenges lie ahead in what is a rapidly developing discipline. So I'm delighted to welcome as a guest, MB Donnelly. MB Donnelly currently serves as Deputy Commissioner at the Irish Data Protection Commission. As Head of Strategy, Finance, Governance and Risk, having previously led on GDPR awareness and training for the Commission. MB joined the DPC from the private sector, where she was a consultant, and before that her background was in education, and she is still an occasional lecturer. To mark the fifth anniversary of the implementation of GDPR, MB is here to discuss with me today GDPR from initial implementation to today, and what next for the regulation. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, MB, and thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you very much, Stephen, and I really appreciate that very warm welcome. And I'm delighted to be able to join you this morning on the Compliance Podcast to have this conversation. And I think it's interesting for me, just as I listen back there and you're, you're, you're talking about before I joined the DPC, and it just struck me, I don't remember before the DPC because I joined in 2016. Right. So I was there in the run-up to the implementation of the GDPR. And, and it became an all-encompassing thing. And I think this is a very timely opportunity now to mark those five years, uh, which in many ways have flown by, some with challenges that we really never anticipated, you know, pandemics and lockdowns and things that, that really weren't to the forefront of our mind in May of 2018. And to see where we are now with the first five years of implementation behind us and looking again towards the future. So I'm delighted to be joining you this morning. Thank you. Thanks so much, MB. So the GDPR was introduced with the ambition to create a harmonized data privacy environment across the EU. How would you assess its progress thus far? I mean, I think the GDPR in many ways is it has been a success, but it is still very much a work in progress. And I think it's it's easy sometimes to forget that it was in essence 20 years in the drafting, it was 20 years in the making as a piece of legislation. So an overnight landscape change was never going to be a reasonable expectation of what the GDPR could achieve. Now, 
as I cast my mind back five years ago and I, I think about the ads that were on the radio at that time and that I came across, I mean, you'd be forgiven for believing that GDPR itself was, was going to change your entire life. Where in actual fact, from an Irish perspective, when you think in terms of the provisions under the 1988 and 2003 Acts, in many ways, individuals already had quite a considerable degree of control. What changed in 2018 was the, the powers of enforcement that were afforded to the DPC as a supervisory authority. And of course, that lead supervisory authority role uh, that we play in relation to some of the major multinationals that have their processing headquarters here in Ireland. It's, it's interesting as well to take account over the last five years that in many ways the ambitions of the GDPR became a trendsetter for many other countries. And we see now a rising amount of other jurisdictions who are themselves framing regulations that offer equivalent protections to those provided for in the GDPR. This is indeed, obviously, in search of an adequacy decision to support trade and, and the easier flow of trade. But no one, I think, is suggesting that the greater control over personal data is a bad idea. There has been certainly since the implementation of the GDPR, a growing awareness of the value of personal data. And there has certainly been, that I have observed at, at least, a shift in mindset away from a place where once upon a time knowledge was power to one whereby people are really questioning, is this something I need to know at all? <laughs> because if I know it, if I have a record of it, I've got to keep it safe. I've got to have a reason for it. I've got to justify it. So as we move in that direction, it's certainly been very interesting to see how the aspirations of the GDPR have spread out beyond just the European area. I think it was Advocate General Bobek who also sounded that note of caution when he mentioned that, you know, we are at risk of the GDPR becoming the law of everything. And I think that might be something we'll explore a little bit further on in this podcast when we talk about where that proportionality sits, what it means for organisations and indeed what the forthcoming legislations in the digital space will mean when they interact with the GDPR. Thanks, MB. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's an area that would be of real interest to, to our members. Just building on what you were saying about the, the regulation and since its introduction, in your view, what have been the main benefits of GDPR thus far? I, I think it is that increased control and indeed very much the increased awareness around the value of personal data that it affords individuals. There are many glib phrases that are used in terms of what personal data can be compared to. I don't think any are actually in any way an equivalent, but when you talk, people talk about things like the new oil, the connotation that they're drawing in their mind is this is something you can mine for money. And so it's certainly mm. no harm that the ordinary individual becomes more aware that the information they share online has the potential now to extend beyond the purposes for which they originally intended it, and that the GDPR mandates that they're entitled to know that, that they are entitled to that level of transparency. And I do see a lot of organizations working to deliver that. The GDPR was never intended to stymie innovation, to stymie development of industry and or ideas, but it was put in place so that the ideas and the innovations that are before us now would happen with personal data security as a live consideration 
the idea is that if you're planning a project, you're planning a major project, it would not be unreasonable. In, in fact, it would be absolutely expected that you'd sit down and you'd analyze financial costs, what's expenditure yeah. versus income. Whereas you're now requested to incorporate the cost of personal data. The, what do I need? How do I minimize the amount of personal information that I use in order to make my product or my project a success? Why am I using it? And to build in those questions because we are moving into a space where Indeed, we're actually, to be perfectly honest, we're long gone into a space where data doesn't stay where you put it. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that in 88, I mean, the, the 2003 acts, but they were framed in a time where, to paraphrase the ad, data lived on file in a filing cabinet, and it doesn't do that anymore. And so the GDPR, with its, its principles-based approach, tried to instill and tries to instill a standard that will be adhered to for what is right in relation to the treatment of personal data and that is transferable regardless of whether your organization relies on the filing cabinet or whether your organization relies on the latest developments in technology. That's a great comparison, I think, MB, when you mentioned rightly at the outset of any project that a company will do a financial analysis. And it is very much, isn't it, about building in that culture, a similar culture around data protection. Um, I, I think that's a great analogy for members to take from that particular point. We saw some landmark fines in 2022, and obviously the DPC played a leading role in, in many of those. Is this trend likely to continue throughout 2023? And are we starting to see a baseline in the types and level of fines being issued, do you think? Well, Stephen, you were kind enough to mention in your introduction that two thirds of the fines instituted last year, both in the EU, the EEA, and indeed in the UK, were as a result of DPC investigations and DPC work and that in excess of 1 billion in fines was levied last year. And we are by that metric, indeed the block leader in terms of effectiveness of enforcement at that level. It's a multifaceted question that you've asked me, being realistic. Because while you can never prejudge the outcome of future investigations, it's important to bear in mind that the fines are calculated relative to the specific infringement or infringements that are being investigated. I mean, we operate in a common law jurisdiction. We have those very high standards that our courts require, inquiries that are set out quite transparently and, and in, in quite a lot of detail means that when these fines are being calculated you cannot retrofit an additional issue that has come to light since the inquiry started and look to shoehorn that in at the end you know that might be that might be a separate inquiry that comes further down the tracks but it is of course I would be foolish not to acknowledge that the nature of the entities that the DPC acts as lead supervisory authority for are so large that it is possible, and in some instances probable, that there will be very large fines moving forward. We've got a strong pipeline of investigations that are coming to conclusion. You saw a lot of that in 2022. There's more of that in 2023. Some of it has happened already, as people who have visited our website will be very aware. But that pipeline, as it continues through, will, of course, include things like the, the metadata transfers, which will be this month. I believe we also have a, a TikTok uh, inquiry to children's personal data that's going to Article 65 in the coming days. And without wishing to prejudge 
the outcomes of any of these things. I mean, it can be a reasonable expectation that these are likely to be uh, significant decisions that we, both we as a, as a DPC and indeed the wider EDPD as its collegiate body, uh, look to, uh, the word won't come to me at the moment, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm reading, yeah. that's, but that will be the decisions that as, as we announce them. But um, yeah, that's, I think, what I would, I suppose, just like to, to draw a little bit of attention to as part of that question sure. is that quite naturally, a lot of the headlines focus on the scale of the fine. And that's, that's a very, because it's a, it's, a, it's a measurable metric. You've got a number attached to it. It's something to, it's something to seize upon. It's headline grabbing, isn't it? Headline yeah. grabbing. And, it, and, that is, and that is quite natural. And indeed, it should be. It should be because fining is part of the enforcement toolkit, but it remains part of it. And it is, it is interesting to note that in addition to many of these fines, and I would again flag for people that our decisions are published on the DPC's website. We're very open and transparent about that because we believe that these are learning tools for people to see where the thresholds are between acceptable, unacceptable. What does good practice look like? What does non-compliance indeed look like? Which is probably, you know, this is the way of the cautionary tale. And in those decisions, in addition to the very large fines, which of course sees the headlines, what you will also see is a number of orders to bring processing operations into compliance. Now, interestingly to note, even in instances where fines are being appealed, um, given the nature of some fines that have been levied, that's also quite natural. Organizations have a responsibility to their shareholders. The orders to comply have been adhered to, notwithstanding the appeals in respect of the fines. So if I suppose it is not to underestimate the import of an order to comply in terms of improving the outcomes for individuals, because really that's what underpins all of this. The motivation behind what we're doing is to improve outcomes for the ordinary individual and it's something i think we might get into a little bit later on which runs indeed a third strand in parallel to this is how to successfully measure the harm that is prevented now this is a drum that i beat quite often and there may be some people listening to this podcast who've heard me say this before but where you are a proactive and engaged regulator as the dpc is and as many of our edpb peers are where there's no way to successfully measure the harm that has been prevented. And that is also an outcome for individuals. It has required effort in order to ensure that they're not exposed to the harm. I think that's a really interesting point, MB. And it's one that your colleague as well, um, Graeme Doyle, had re referred to on this podcast last year, that often the, exactly as you say, that the, the headline grabbing aspect is, is fine, but the most profound benefit to the citizen is often that change to the processing activities absolutely uh, yeah. you know and it's great to see and that's protecting all of us i guess really isn't it that's where the change happens compliance is the goal yes um even though it is quite naturally it's the it's the, the large numbers that attract yeah. great attention yeah. but the goal is compliance the goal is improving standards very good very good and just building on that, MB, uh, have uh, companies, has their approach to the GDPR and compliance around that, has that changed much over the past five years, do you think? I think it has. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am quite enjoying this podcast because it does give me the excuse to cast my mind back five years ago and to remember, actually, this time. I remember the month of May in 2018, and I remember the panic that existed. I took a phone call one day from a man who was in great distress 
because he had a little, some sort of tourist attraction. I think it was a, I think it was a small castle on his land of ruin. And he had a visitor book at this. And people would stop off and they would write, Hi, Stephen, enjoyed visiting your castle. Great day, MB. And he said uh, he rang up and he thought he was going to be prosecuted for having the visitor book. You're not going to be prosecuted for having the visitor book. Who told you you're going to be prosecuted for having the visitor book? And he said, well, I had a guy in here yesterday who wanted to sell me a computer and a digital one because that would be compliant. I was like, no, don't worry about your little visitor book. We're moving into it. That was what happened. There was such in, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, you know, that the, the lie has gone halfway around the world before the truth has got its shoes on. And there were a lot of people who were interested, I suppose, in monetizing fear. And so there was a lot of mistaken understanding in relation to the GDPR that existed in that run up to 2018, a real fear around being found to be non-compliant and immediately being sanctioned uh, with massive multi-million euro fines. That has balanced out. I find now five years down the line that we're in a place where cooler heads have prevailed. I find that the organizations that we deal with at all levels have a much greater awareness of their responsibilities under the GDPR and under the Data Protection Act 2018. Uh, DPOs, and more widely we'll call them compliance officers because there are many institutions and organizations who don't meet a threshold to formally appoint a DPO, but they have somebody there certainly uh, taking on the responsibility for advising their organization in that regard. So these people, I find, are growing in confidence and they're growing in expertise. And that's something that we've been supporting as a data protection authority. It's something that we've put a lot of focus on because that is how the GDPR is envisaged to work. In the early days, back in the, the 2018s, even indeed the 2019s, a lot more issues were coming to us, let's say, as the regulator, but it's more properly and more expeditiously been resolved at a DPO level or at a data controller level. But they themselves didn't have the confidence to do it. They felt unsure in terms of acting in that regard, starting to level out now. And that's in everyone's interest because most individuals want a swift and correct response to whatever their issue is. They're not interested in hanging on for the long haul. I mean, we do see some of that as well, but this is something that where compliance efforts amongst organizations are changing. And there's, there's some catching up being done by the smaller SMEs and the entities who didn't necessarily have the same resources at the start that the large multinationals had to invest in their compliance efforts. That balancing out is starting to really take effect now. Now, the, that being said, there is a long way to go. We're not there yet. We do have a long way to go yet. Yeah. The journey metaphor, I guess. The yeah. journey metaphor is there because, I mean, you, you run the gamut from people objecting to an incorrectly folded letter, which shows part of their name in the envelope at the front. You know, that, that is still there. We still have instances where a lot of breaches are occurring as a result of human error, and we can look at that in a little more detail. But, uh, we're moving in the right direction. Very good. And obviously, it's been, we've seen a significant um, expansion in terms of the DPC's own, re, own resourcing, and, and, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about that in a little while as well. But how has the DPC's own 
supervisory approach evolved over the past five years? You kind of referenced it a little bit. And you mentioned about SMEs, and that's a point we might t- touch on a bit further into the podcast as well. But overall, ha- how has that approach evolved, do you think, MB? I suppose the DPC's approach to uh, acting in a supervisory, in its supervisory authority role, and it's, it's, a, it's a word I use quite often because it is the only appropriate word, is in fact multifaceted. No single way of being an effective regulator. You have to be much more agile than that because this is a very agile space that we're operating. It's a disruptive technology for many instances and yet must still bring with it entities whose data processing operations involve keeping your written record on that file in the filing cabinet. So this is the very wide space that we operate in. We have to meet all of it. And the nature of personal data is so cross-cutting that it it is every aspect of public and private life as it pertains to individuals. There's no area that we cannot be brought into at this moment in time. And therefore, there's a real requirement to both think and act strategically in terms of how you operate as an effective regulator. Now, our current regulatory strategy, which runs till 2027, I, I had the great privilege of holding the pen on that and redirecting much of the research around that. And the rising thought coming out of that can be summed up in the phrase to do more for more. Okay. And in order to do more for more, you have to be smart about how you deploy your resources and you have to be smart about how you pursue areas of systemic risk. Because that must be remembered. The GDPR is, is, is a risk-based piece of legislation to be applied proportionately across organizations and across individuals. So when we're looking at complaint handling and indeed breach notifications, you have to look to prioritize the areas where there is the highest risk, where you've got to achieve the most for the greatest amount of people. And that, again, is why you will see uh, so many of the DPC's large-scale inquiries have ramifications for multiple millions of users across Europe. It is indeed in part of that strategic approach for, for listeners to this podcast today. You might also be thinking in terms of the strategic approach that the DPC has taken to data breach handling. So if you think back to 2018, we had a very hands-on approach to all data breach notifications that we received. Now you're talking in excess of 6,000 a year, which yeah. requires an awful lot of iterative engagement around that. Um, we were handling every single one in great detail, making recommendations uh, for people in order to bring things into compliance. And we're moving away from that because it's five years on and the learnings need to be learned now. At some point, accountability, I suppose, needs to be taken by the organizations. It can't be divested to the DPC all the time. So reporting a breach now, if there's no immediate reaction from the DPC, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're happy with this or we're going to uh, get back to you. There could be a complaint that we receive that gets matched to your breach notification and we'll be back to you further down the line. And now I know that there are people who, from speaking engagements, there are people who are not keen on this approach and would like that more intense handholding to continue for a period yet. But I suppose It has been five years. We've got a certain amount of staff and a really wide remit. And we have to prioritize where we where we deploy those resources. And we have to recognize that it is the data controller's own responsibility to get their house in order. 
and balancing the, that more granular activity with, as you say, having time and resources to focus on the, the strategic areas and the strategic wins. And obviously, as you say as well, trying to be agile in what is a very fast moving space. Yeah, I think that's very informative for our members um, uh, going forward. We touched on the SME sector briefly um, a few minutes ago, but the DPC's regulatory strategy, which you mentioned, it includes an increased focus on Ireland's SME sector. How is the Commission seeking to support SME businesses, um, many of whom I'd say would, would find this quite a challenge you know, resource-wise? There is no doubt, I suppose, that the SMEs are find compliance a challenge. Now, I we've just come to the end of the EU-funded ARC project, which I led for the DPC with our colleagues in Croatia and Rea University, which has come to a very successful conclusion. And Stephen, I know you were part of the conference that we held this time last year in Croke Park. That's right. Yeah, I found, I found it an excellent event, very, very interesting and informative panel and, and a lot of good questions coming from the floor. And the, and the feedback from the SMEs who attended was also very positive in relation to the speakers who were there on the day. And that's a space that we're looking to perpetuate by giving SMEs access to the type of expertise that they themselves might not, on an individual basis, have the resources to retain. So leveling out, I suppose, some of that playing field that we mentioned, where you can access really high quality guidance, really high quality speakers and expertise in order to help guide you. Reminding people in relation to the proportionality. So if you're putting out a data protection impact assessment and you run I know this isn't likely, but for the sake of argument, you run a garage. There is no point in copying and pasting Google's putting that in there because that's not going to fit your operation and what you need. It's thinking proportionally. It, it's not what we meant when we said data was the new oil or reference. Not that what we, we meant when data was the new oil. I didn't even realize I was going down that route, but uh, that'll tell you where the, where the mind links. No, but absolutely. So SMEs have been prioritized and will continue to be prioritized for the same reason that the DPOs and compliance officers have been, because they're a vital layer in the way that the GDPR has been structured. Empowering them to act effectively and do their jobs confidently delivers results for individuals, reduces waiting times for individuals who need an outcome, and reduces the volume of issues that need to escalate up to the regulator for adjudication. It's a more efficient working of the system. It's how the system was envisaged during that 20 years of drafting that I referenced earlier. That's something that is really key to how we move forward because as has been observed before, the SME sector is accounts for such a high proportion of the economy. While the, the, the high fines and the multinational entities to which they pertain certainly grab a lot of the headlines, most people in their day-to-day -day transactions end up dealing with small to medium enterprises and sharing their personal data in order to obtain a service. And it still remains a backbone of the of a functioning economy. That's that's very interesting. And, and as to say, echoing your points, I thought that our conference was, was excellent. We've seen an increase in the resourcing of the, the Data Protection Commission since 2018. Can you outline some of the key changes um, that have happened within the commission during that time? Absolutely. So I suppose in late, in late 2022, most recently we'll look at late 2022, uh, where we, we were able to recruit significant expansion on our senior management team, leading to a restructure of the DPC in a way that will underpin 
the strategic goals that we have laid out in that regulatory strategy and achieving those strategic goals. And so building out that management layer allows us to develop more teams, more focused areas. And that's something where we're constantly looking to recruit and to build capacity. We're currently at, I think, 210 staff in the DPC, and we're looking to get to 260 by the end of the year. And we have the budget for that. There remains the challenge of recruiting the necessary skill, even though, as we said, it's five years since the GDPR came into application. It is in many ways still a new and nuanced area of expertise for a lot of people. And so the pool in which we're we're seeking to recruit, that's that's not necessarily a very deep pool as yet. Okay. It's increasing, but the, the challenge, we're all looking to draw the same expertise. And I suppose some of the people fishing in that pool have greater wage and benefit packets than the civil service can offer. So that will always remain a challenge. But uh, we do have we do have our budget. We have an ongoing active recruitment situation. And by all means, keep an eye out. Anyone who's listening, who's who's interested and thinks that the regulator sounds attractive. There's some interesting jobs on the horizon there. Yeah, so that's expanding to meet to meet the need. But I mean, there is no regulator anywhere in the world. There's certainly no regulator in the digital space who will ever tell you that they have all the resources that they need. Okay, okay. Um, that there, there, is no, there is no threshold at which that is achieved because the, the, the work will continue to expand. But what we can say confidently is that the DPC is performing well. I mean, we'll nod back to that. Those statistics that you mentioned earlier and in terms of being the block leader, yeah. are those enforcement efforts. The DPC is delivering on its remit so the the 210 people are are really have their shoulders to the wheel and i'm reminded that two years before i joined in, in i joined in 2016 in at the end of 2014 there were less than 30 people on staff wow. so wow. The, the expansion has been exponential both in terms of our staff load our our onboarding capabilities and indeed the workload that 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 staff is getting through so it's a busy regulator it's a dedicated regulator yeah. and uh, i i see no reason why that won't continue uh, onward and upward onward and upward great looking eu-wide um how has collaboration between eu data protection authorities supported the efforts made by each of those authorities to enforce gdpr can can you talk to our members a little bit about that mb yeah absolutely first of all i suppose cooperation is a layered thing there are layers of cooperation. And as I, I mentioned to you earlier, we've just concluded the ARC project with Croatia, uh, the ASOP Data Protection Authority in Croatia and Rea University, which was European cooperation in order to bring about improved outcomes for individuals. And that's happening all across the board. There are many DPAs involved in bilateral or trilateral projects who are working to focus on a niche area and bring about an improvement. And that happens that pertains i mean at a wider at an edpb level i mean it is a challenge there's there's no doubt there's there's 40 plus supervisory authorities who get to have a say when they're when one of the entities let's say the dpc regulates that that goes for decision so if you're getting 40 authorities to come into agreement that's that's always going to be a challenge to have everybody adhere to a particular agreement and we've had situations where decisions have gone to you know dispute re- resolution dpc decisions have gone to dispute resolution because other dpas in their comments contradict each other 
and neither one will withdraw their observations. So if they can't be resolved at Article 60, they have to go to Article 65. But when we talk about going to Article 65 and dispute resolution, it's really important to remember that that's not a problem. That's the process. That's the way the GDPR is structured. Okay. When something goes to Article 65, that's just evidence of the process work. Kind of healthy debate as much as healthy is it? Debate. And, and there should be. Like it's not, it's not um, I suppose, a, a company day out. It is, it is a shop for debate. Okay. Discriminant to air these things. So, I mean, we have said many times on this podcast that it is five years. It's still relatively early days. A lot of the big decisions have started to filter through now. Obviously, it took a period of time for those to be properly investigated, I would frame, moved through the various stages. And where there are appeals in place, ultimately the courts will arbitrate. And that clarity that arises from that will give greater clarity to supervisory authorities in their future debates. You know, there's not a lot of precedent yet. It's getting there. But that clarity, I suppose, that will come down through the courts, some of that is, is, is still pending. And sure. I would say again, to, I suppose, to people to, listening to the podcast to make sure that they do keep an eye to the website, have a look at the decisions, see what the discussions were around those various points. Well, share. It, 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 it's a fast moving area and, and you're completely right. We talked about, I guess, uh, or touched on it earlier, you know, the importance of building an effective and, and accountable company culture, for example. And part of that is continuing to listen and be informed as to what these developments are really, isn't it? Well, that's huge. And culture within the organization is something I myself am very focused on. Mm. Um, we saw it in particular when the first lockdown happened and people were sent to work remotely. And the challenge was maintaining the culture when you were no longer on site. And your culture has to be something that's a mindset that moves with you regardless of where you're doing your job. You're not additionally careful in processing personal data because you're in the office. You're careful processing personal data because that's what is expected of you. And that's what you are accustomed to do. No, that's that's a very, very good point. The data privacy ecosystem is becoming increasingly complex. We mentioned kind of adjacent legislation um, and laws kind of earlier in the podcast, and that's both within the EU and globally. What advice would you have for Irish businesses that are seeking to navigate um, this complexity? Because in fairness, it, it's probably likely to become more rather than less complex. You talked about many jurisdictions mirroring the GDPR or bringing in their own laws, for example. Well, I suppose the crystal ball is something we'd all love to have in terms of how this will move forward. And, and I don't say that, I don't say that flippantly. When I spoke earlier in terms of the third countries who are coming in with their own data protection regulations, that may in essence make it easier to trade because if they're able to get their adequacy decision from the European Commission, then you're trading with understanding that there are equivalent standards. And that's that's always the concern around transferring personal data outside of the EEA. Are you transferring them to a jurisdiction with equivalent standards? Um, and obviously we have we have a case coming up on that fairly shortly. But in terms of the ecosystem, I suppose, becoming increasingly complex, I suppose all I can really say is you're not wrong. <laughs> it is. And there's a lot of legislation 
that is imminent in the digital space around Digital Services Act, Digital Markets Act, the AI Act, things like that, but that it may be of some consolation to listeners to be made aware that the DPC was among one of the founding members of an Irish digital regulators group with ourselves, with the CCPC, with Comreg and with the new Commission Naman, who have come into effect in, in recent months, specifically looking at increasing that coordination, increasing the conversation so that we are better able to advise our stakeholders when the legislation comes into effect, mm-hmm. how this will impact them. Um, we, we mentioned artificial intelligence, or you, you mentioned the, the AI Act there. Um, I guess new artificial intelligence platforms have been getting a lot of significant media coverage, uh, chat GPT being, being one, for example. What challenges do these technologies present from a data protection perspective? Well, I suppose to fully understand that, we really need to, to look at them in more detail. And we're all at, we're all at that level now. I mean, an EU task force has been set up to examine this. So it, it's, it's an, an issue that we're all very alive to. And I mean, you couldn't but be alive to it. It features so strongly in the media. You mentioned, of course, that the AI Act is forthcoming, which will obviously uh, deal with a lot of these elements. For ourselves, we're considering this obviously in terms of personal data and how personal data is processed. And I suppose the challenge will also be where thresholds lie between the jurisdiction of different digital legislations. Okay. Okay. Um, is something really that we'll be we'll be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's again for any members listening in and for their companies, it probably reinforces the the importance of listening, being aware of what's going on in the environment, regular training, all all of that, because that complexity is going to need to be um, understood and operational. Absolutely. And I mean, we will be sharing things on our social media channels. We're sharing things on our website. We will be keeping people as appraised as we can, when we can, of these things. But it's, it's a recognition that this is something that requires further examination and that we are aligned to that and that we're active on that front. And I suppose it is not for me to make the decisions for various businesses and data controllers that are listening this morning, but Mm. it would be the case that I would say, you know, you exercise caution in all areas of new initiatives. There's no reason that this should be any different. Examine it and satisfy yourself. Yeah, very good points. And finally, um, we, we talked about it's it's been a, a long and a short five years in a way, but but looking ahead, how do you see the regulation evolving over the next five years? I think that there's always the possibility, I suppose, that we may ultimately end up thinking of these as the good old days. But I don't think that will be the case. To be honest, The some of the, the legislation that we've mentioned that is pending, the DSA, the DMA, the AI Act, and things like that, I think that will be forced to give greater clarity to both individuals and to organizations in terms of where the book stops. So at the moment, the GDPR, as Advocate General Bobek said, is the law of everything because it's the only show in town. So very often you will get people escalating complaints through the DPC invoking a personal data element because there's no other recourse available to them. At the moment and it may turn out that this is actually you know that data protection is the smallest 0.1 of one percent element of what the overall issue is and it turns out that maybe it's a content management issue or it's a competition issue but those 
pan-European legislations have not yet been put in place. And so the GDPR has, as we say, become the law of everything. Okay. I think we'll see that begin to level off as people recognize I have other options where I can more appropriately uh, raise my issue or where I can have my issue more appropriately adjudicated over the next five years, more clarity within that digital space. And as I said, and I mentioned again, that digital regulators group that we have here in Ireland, there's also a similar group at an EDPB level, the mm -hmm. task force has been put in place, and indeed a wider international group that is being formed where more of the digital regulators are looking to engage with each other and have that greater collaboration with a view to bringing greater coherence to the user and to the stakeholder. No, that's that's very interesting and very useful. Look, this has been hugely informative. I think our, our members will will take a lot from this podcast um, discussion. And thanks so much for your time. And just before we, we move to the kind of concluding stages, are there any key takeaways you'd like maybe listeners to bring with them, uh, you know, back into their, their daily lives or work environment? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned culture yeah. earlier in this, and we also mentioned that there's still, there's still a distance to go. And if I think back to compiling the annual report for 2022, mm -hmm. it is one of the things that stood out was, I suppose, in relation to breaches, quite how many had resulted from human error putting the wrong letter in the wrong envelope, the simple and straightforward things. And so what I would say is just because it's five years, don't rest on your laurels. Don't assume we've reached a compliant standard and we're there now. Things are still happening that shouldn't be happening, that sufficient information exists to educate people not to do, but yet it persists. So I mean, one of my colleagues was speaking recently about a woman whose entire 40-year medical history was sent on to an insurance company because wow. she was making a claim about a fall and they just sent everything there was there was no thought so if you are listening and you are either a compliance professional uh, in your organization or you're you're the data controller what i'd say is just because we're five years in not to take our foot off the gas there's still work to be done and much of it lives within that culture element that we mentioned building that culture of compliance so that this is a default system of behavior for people. You know, we do this as a society all the time. You know, you, you really don't just walk out in front of oncoming traffic because you've learned to be cautious. We've conditioned ourselves to that behavior. We can do it for GDPR as well. Yeah, a similar approach. Super. Thanks, MB. Well, look, just to say uh, on behalf of the Compliance Institute, uh, uh, the podcast uh, and our members, thank you for sharing your expertise on this topic. It's been hugely informative. I've certainly enjoyed the discussion. Um, thanks to, to you, our listeners, for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I do hope that you found the podcast interesting and useful. As I say, I, I certainly did. And we'd be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. So until the next episode, thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.